the Columbia Network takes pleasure in bringing you Suspense. Columbia's parade of outstanding thrillers, produced and directed by William Spear and scored by Bernard Herrmann. The notable melodramas from stage and screen, fiction and radio, presented each week to bring you to the edge of your chair, to keep you in suspense. Good evening. This is Orson Welles. And very happy I am to be back in the United States and back on the Columbia Network. Even for so short a visit as this one. Back with old friends like Johnny Dietz, who is tonight's director, and Bernard Herman. The Mercury Theater presented tonight's radio play for the first time last year. We came right out then and hailed it as a classic of the medium. Nobody argued the point. A lot of people asked us to do it again, so it's gratifying to get the chance now to find a favorite of ours in this distinguished anthology of spook shows. Personally, I've never met anybody who didn't like a good ghost story. But I know a lot of people who think there are a lot of people who don't like a good ghost story. For the benefit of these, at least, I go on record at the outset of this evening's entertainment with the sober assurance that although blood may be curdled on this program, none will be spilt. There's no shooting, knifing, throttling, axing, or poisoning here. No clanking chains, no cobwebs, no bony and or hairy hands appearing from secret panels or, better yet, bedroom curtains. If it's any part of that dear old phosphorescent foolishness that people who don't like ghost stories don't like, then again, I promise you, we haven't got it. Not tonight. What we do have is a thriller. It's half as good as we think it is. You can call it a shocker. It's already been called a real Orson Welles story. Now, frankly, I don't know what this means. I've been on the air directing and acting in my own shows for quite a while now, and I don't suppose I've done more than half a dozen thrillers in all that time. Honestly, I don't think even that many, but it seems I do have a reputation for the uncanny. Quite possibly, a little escapade of mine involving a couple of planets, which shall be nameless, is responsible. Doesn't really matter... <laughs> Don't think I disapprove of thrillers. I don't. A story doesn't have to appeal to the heart. It can also appeal to the spine. Sometimes you want your heart to be warmed, and sometimes you want your spine to tingle. The tingling, it's to be hoped, will be quite audible as you listen tonight to The Hitchhiker. That's the name of our story, The Hitchhiker. <laughs> camp on Route 66, just west of Gallup, New Mexico. If I tell it, perhaps it'll help me. Keep me from going, going crazy. I gotta tell this quickly. I'm not crazy now. I feel perfectly well, except that I'm running a slight temperature. My name is Ronald Adams. I'm 36 years of age, unmarried, tall, dark, with a black mustache. I drive a 1940 Buick, license number 6Y175189. 
I was born in Brooklyn. All this I know. I know that I'm at this moment perfectly sane. That it's not me who's gone mad. It's something else. Something utterly beyond my control. I've got to speak quickly. At any minute, the link may break. This may be the last thing I ever tell on Earth. The last night I ever see the stars. Six days ago, I left Brooklyn to drive to California. Goodbye, son. Good luck to you, my boy. Goodbye, mother. Here, give me a kiss. And I'll go. I'll come out with you to the car. Oh, no, it's raining. Stay here at the door. Oh. Hey, what's this? Tears? I thought you'd promise me you wouldn't cry. Oh, I know, dear. I, I'm sorry. But I... I do hate to see Mother, you. Both. I'll be back. It'll only be the, on the course three months. Oh, it isn't that. It's, it's just the trip. Ronald, I wish you weren't driving. Oh, Mother, there you go again. People do it every day. I know, but you'll be careful, won't you? Promise me you'll be extra careful. Don't fall asleep or drive fast or pick up any strangers on the road. Oh, gosh. I think I was still 17 here, you told me. Oh, and wire me as soon as you get to Hollywood, won't you, son? Of course I will. Don't you worry. There's nothing going to happen. It's just eight days of perfectly simple driving on smooth, decent, civilized roads. With a hot dog or a hamburger stand every ten miles. I was in fine spirits drive ahead of me, even the loneliness seemed like a lark. I reckoned without him. Crossing Brooklyn Bridge that morning in the rain, I saw a man leaning against the cables. He seemed to be waiting for a lift. There were spots of fresh rain on his shoulders. He was carrying a cheap overnight bag in one hand. He was thin, nondescript, with a cap pulled down over his eyes. I would have forgotten him completely, except that just an hour later, while crossing the Pulaski Skyway over the Jersey Flats, I saw him again. At least, he looked like the same person. He was standing now with one thumb pointing west. I couldn't figure out how he got there, but I thought probably one of those fast trucks had picked him up, beat me to the Skyway, and let him off. I didn't stop for him. Then late that night... I saw him again. It's on the new Pennsylvania turnpike between Harrisburg and Pittsburgh. It's 265 miles long with a very high speed limit. I was just slowing down for one of the tunnels when I saw him, standing under an arc light by the side of the road. I'd seen quite distinctly the bag, the cap, even the spots of fresh rain spattered over his shoulders. He hallooed at me this time. Hello? Hello? I stepped on the gas like a shot. That's lonely country through the Alleghenies, and I had no intention of stopping. Besides the coincidences or whatever it was, neither the Willies. Stopped at the next gas station. Uh, fill her up. Certainly, sir. Check your oil, sir? No, thanks. 
Yes. It hasn't been raining here recently, has it? Not a drop of rain all week. Oh? Oh, I, I suppose that doesn't done your business any harm. Oh, people drive through here all kinds of weather. Mostly business, you know. There aren't many pleasure cars out on the turnpike this season of the year. I suppose not. What, uh... Uh, what about hitchhikers? <laughs> hitchhikers here? What's the matter? Don't you ever see any? Not much. If we did, it'd be a sight for sore eyes. Why? Oh, a guy'd be a fool who started out to hitch rides on this road. Look at it. Then you've never seen anybody? No. Maybe they get the lift before the turnpike starts. I mean, you know, just before the toll house. But then it'd be a mighty long ride. Most cars wouldn't want to pick up a guy for that long a ride. And you know, this is pretty lonesome country here. Mountains and woods. You ain't seen anybody like that, have you? Uh, no. Oh, no, not, not at all. It's just uh, a technical question. <laughs> I see. Well, that'll be just $1.49 with the tax. gradually passed through my mind a sheer coincidence. I had a good night's sleep in Pittsburgh. I didn't think about the man all next day until... until just outside of Zanesville, Ohio, I saw him again. It's a bright, sunshiny afternoon. The peaceful Ohio fields, brown with the autumn stubble, lay dreaming in the golden light. I was driving slowly, drinking it in, when the road suddenly ended in a detour. In front of the barrier, he was standing. Let me explain about his appearance before I go on. I repeat, there was nothing sinister about him. He was as drab as a mud fence, nor was his attitude menacing. He merely stood there, waiting, almost drooping a little, with a cheap overnight bag in his hand. He looked as though he'd been waiting there for hours. And he looked up. He hailed me. He started to walk forward. Hello? 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 No, not just now, sorry. Going to California? No, not today. The other way, going to New York, sorry. After I got the car back on the road again, I felt like a fool. Yet the thought of picking him up, of having him sit beside me, was somehow unbearable. Same time, I felt more than ever unspeakably alone. Hour after hour went by. Fields, the towns ticked off one by one. The light changed. I knew now that I was going to see him again. And though I dreaded the sight, I caught myself searching the side of the road waiting for him to appear. sandwiches and pop here, don't you? Yeah, we do in the daytime. But we're closed up now for the I night. I know, but I was wondering if you could possibly have a cup of coffee, black coffee, just... No, not this time no. of night, mister. My wife's a cook. She's a man. No, don't shut the door. Please, listen, just a minute ago... Uh, 
Just a minute ago, there was a man standing here right beside the stand, a suspicious-looking man. I, I don't mean to disturb it. You see, I was driving along when I just happened to look, and there he was. How's he doing? Well, nothing. You've been taking a nip. That's what you've been doing. Now, on your way before I call our sheriff folks. <laughs> got into the car again and drove on slowly. I was getting to hate the car. If I could have found a place to stop, to rest a little. I was in the Ozark Mountains of Missouri now. A few resort places there were closed, only an occasional log cabin, seemingly deserted. That's all that broke the monotony of the wild, wooded landscape. I had seen him at that roadside stand. I knew I'd see him again. Maybe at the next turn of the road. I knew that when I saw him next, I would run him down. But I didn't see him again. I didn't see him until late next afternoon. Stopped a car at a sleepy little junction just across the border into Oklahoma to let a train pass by. When he appeared across the tracks, leaning against a telephone pole. Perfectly airless, dry day. The red clay of Oklahoma was baking under the southwestern sun. Yet there were spots of fresh rain on his shoulders. I couldn't stand that. Without thinking, blindly, I started the car across the tracks. He didn't look up at me. He was staring at the ground. I stepped on the gas hard, bearing the wheel sharply toward him. I could hear the train in the distance now, but I didn't care. Then. Something went wrong with the car. The train was coming closer. I could hear its bell ringing and the cry of its whistle. Still, he stood there. And now I knew that he was beckoning. Beckoning me to my death. him that time. The starter worked at last. I managed to back up. When the train passed, he was gone. I was all alone in the hot, dry afternoon. After that, I knew I had to do something. I didn't know who this man was or what he wanted of me. I only knew that from now on, I mustn't let myself alone on the road for one minute. Uh, hello there. Like a ride? Well, what do you think? How far are you going? Uh, where do you want to go? Amarillo, Texas. I'll drive you there. Gee. Uh, you mind if I take off my shoes? My dogs are killing me. Go right ahead. Oh. Gee, what a break this is. hitchhike much? Sure. Only it's tough sometimes in these great open spaces to get the break. Uh, I should think it would be, though. I'll bet you get a good pickup in a fast car. If you did, you could get places faster than, say, another person in another car, couldn't you? 
I don't get you. Well, take me, for instance. Suppose I'm I'm driving across the country, say, at a nice steady clip about 45 miles an hour. Uh, couldn't couldn't a girl like you just standing beside the road waiting for Liz beat me to town? Or any town, provided she got picked up every time in a car doing from 65 to 70 miles an hour? I don't know. What difference does it make? Oh, no difference. It's just a crazy idea I had sitting here in the car. <laughs> Imagine spending your time in a swell car thinking of things like that. What would you do instead? What would I do? If I was a good-looking fellow like yourself, why, I just enjoy myself every minute of the time. I'd sit back and, and relax. But if I saw a good-looking girl along the side of the road... Hey, look out! Did you see him? See who? A man standing beside the barbed wire fence. Oh, I didn't see anybody. I, it wasn't nothing but a bunch of cows and, and a wire fence. No? What do you think he was doing? Trying to run into the barbed wire fence? a man fence? there, I tell you. A thin gray man with an overnight bag in his hand. And I, I was trying to run him down. Run him down? Kill him? Say so you didn't see him back there? You sure? I didn't see a soul. As far as watch I Watch for him the next time and keep watching. Keep your eyes peeled on the road. He'll turn up again. Maybe any minute. There! Look there! <laughs> this door work. I, I'm getting out Did of here. Did you see him that time? No, I didn't see him that time. And personally, mister, I don't expect never to see him. All I want to do is go on living. I don't see how I will very long driving with you. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't... I... I don't know what came over me, but please don't go. So if you'll excuse me... You can't go. Listen, how would you like to go to California? I'll drive you to California. Seeing pink elephants all the way? No, thanks. Uh-uh. Thanks just the same. Listen, please. Just... Just one minute, please. You know what I think you need, big boy? Not a girlfriend. Just a good dose of sleep. Please. There. I got it now. Now you can't go. Please, come Get your back. hands off me. Do you hear me? Your hands off She ran from me. As though I were a monster. A few minutes later, I saw a passing truck pick her up. I knew then that I was utterly alone. It was in the heart of the great Texas prairies. There wasn't a car on the road after the truck went by. I tried to figure out what to do, how to get hold of myself. I could find a place to rest, or even if I could sleep right here in the car for a few hours along the side of the road. I was getting my winter overcoat out of the back seat to use as a blanket when I saw him coming toward me. Emerging from the herd of moving steer. Hello! Maybe I should have spoken to him then. Fought it out then and there. For now he began to be everywhere. Wherever I stopped, even for a moment, for gas, for oil, for... Drink a pop, a cup of coffee, sandwich. He was there. I saw him standing outside the auto camp in Amarillo that night when I dared to slow down. He was sitting near the drinking fountain, a little camping spot just inside the border of New Mexico. He was waiting for me outside the Navajo reservation where I stopped to check my tires. I saw him in Albuquerque when I bought 20 gallons of gas. I was 
I was afraid to stop now. I began to drive faster and faster. I was in, in lunar landscape now. The great arid Mesa country of New Mexico. I drove through it with the indifference of a fly crawling over the face of the moon. Now he didn't even wait for me to stop. Unless I drove at 85 miles an hour over those endless roads, he waited for me at every other mile. I'd see his figure, shadowless, flitting before me, still in the same attitude, over the cold, lifeless ground, flitting over dried-up rivers, over broken stones cast up by old glacial upheavals, flitting in that pure and cloudless air. I was beside myself when I finally reached Gallup, New Mexico this morning. There's an auto camp here. Cold, almost deserted this time of year. I went inside and asked if there was a telephone. I had the feeling that if only I could speak to someone familiar, someone I loved, I could pull myself together. Your call, please. Long distance. Long distance, certainly. This is long distance. I'd like, uh, I'd like to put a, in a call to my home in Brooklyn, New York. I'm Ronald Adams. I'm a, the, the number is Beechwood 200828. Certainly, I will try to get it for you. Albuquerque, New York for Gallup. New York. Gallup, New Mexico, calling Beechwood 20828. I read somewhere that love could banish demons. It's the middle of the morning. I knew Mother would be home. I pictured her tall and white-haired in her crisp house dress, going about her tasks. Be enough, I thought, just to hear the even calmness of her voice. Will you please deposit $3.85 for the first three minutes? When you have deposited a dollar and a half, will you wait until I have collected the money? All right, deposit another dollar and a half. Will you please deposit the remaining 85 cents? Ready with Brooklyn. Go ahead, please. Hello? hello? Mrs. Adams' residence. Hello, hello, Mother. This is Mrs. Adams' residence. Who is it you wish to speak to, please? What? Oh, who's this? This is Mrs. Winnie. Mrs. Winnie? I, I don't know any Mrs. Winnie. Is this Beechwood 208828? Yes. Uh, where, where's my mother? Where's Mrs. Adams? Mrs. Adams is not at home. She's still in the hospital. The hospital? Yes. Who the... is this calling, please? Is it a member of the family? Well, what's she in the hospital for? 
She's been prostrated for five days. Nervous breakdown. But who is Nervous this breakdown? Well, my grandmother never was nervous. It's all taken place since the death of her oldest son, Ronald. Death of her... Death of her oldest son, Ronald? Hey, what's this? What number is this? This is Beechwood 20828. It's all been very sudden. He was killed just six days ago in an automobile accident on the Brooklyn Bridge. Your three minutes are up, sir. Your three minutes are up, sir. Your three minutes are up, sir. And so... So I'm sitting here in this deserted auto camp in Gallup, New Mexico. I'm trying to think. Trying to get hold of myself. Otherwise, I... I'm going to go crazy. Outside, it's night. The vast, soulless night of New Mexico. A million stars are in the sky. Ahead of me stretch a thousand miles of empty mesa. Mountains. Prairies. Desert. Somewhere among them, he's waiting for me. Somewhere I shall know who he is and who I am. the hitchhiker, and to Orson Welles our considerable thanks for his playing of the title role. Mr. Welles, help wanted. Men, women, and children. Nature of work, hard, monotonous, back-breaking labor. Hours, 75 a week minimum. Pay, few cents an hour. Added inducement. Two meals a day, including several ounces of bad bread and a cup of thin soup. Don't delay. Apply at once. How would you respond to a want ad like that, Mr. and Mrs. American working man and woman? You'd laugh, wouldn't you, and throw the paper in the trash basket. Dismiss the whole advertisement as some kind of a joke, but believe me, it's no joke. It's a simple statement of the working conditions that exist today in Nazi Germany and the conquered countries under Nazi rule. It's also an exact statement of the working conditions that will be imposed on you and every member of your family if the Nazis win this war. You yourself personally can stop them from winning, as you know. You don't have to give up your well-paid job to do it. You needn't have to be a soldier or a sailor or an airman or a nurse or a war worker to ensure American victory. Uncle Sam doesn't ask plain, ordinary, hard-working citizens like you to give him anything. All he asks, all this he does ask very seriously and very urgently, is that you loan him ten cents out of every dollar you make. That's all there is to it. Lend Uncle Sam a dime to win this war. And he'll pay you back with interest when he's won it. The easiest, most convenient way to lend him these dimes is to enroll in the payroll savings plan. Just tell your boss to deduct 10 cents from every dollar he pays you and lend it to Uncle Sam in your name. Sign up for this simple savings plan today and when victory comes, you'll have war bonds in your pockets instead of Axis bonds on your wrists. 
Suspense will be heard again two weeks from tonight. Next Wednesday night, September 9th, the Columbia Broadcasting System will present over many of these stations at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Wartime an address by W. Averill Harriman, the United States Land Lease Administrator in London. Mr. Harriman, as the personal representative of the President of the United States, attended the Moscow conferences between Winston Churchill and Joseph Stalin. Next Wednesday's broadcast will be Mr. Harriman's first public address since his return to this country. Suspense is produced and directed by William Spear. John Dietz was our guest director this evening. Tonight's radio drama was written by Lucille Fletcher. The original score was by Bernard Herrmann. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Will you give a few seconds of your time to help win this war? Then listen. At Stalingrad the other day, a Nazi tank unit attacked a corps of Russian soldiers. The Russians tried to stop the tanks and fought until their guns were silenced. Then did they surrender? Did they retreat? No. Eighteen of them rushed forward with bombs in their hands, got under the tanks, and blew them up. They gave their lives for their country. You and I are not asked to give our lives for ours. All we're asked to do is buy war bonds and stamps. Our American soldiers are giving their lives for us each day. More and more of them every day. Can we do less than loan our money to them? It's such a simple, easy thing to do. Out of every dollar you earn, lend one dime to your country. Do it regularly by joining the 10% Club where you work. And do it now. Our soldiers need your help. Columbia Network takes pleasure in bringing you Suspense. Suspense. Columbia's parade of outstanding thrillers. Produced by William Spear and scored by Bernard Herrmann. The notable melodramas from stage and screen, fiction and radio, presented each week to bring you to the edge of your chair, to keep you in suspense. Tonight's story deals with a remote and dangerous house a terrifying thing that happened there because the rain went on for days and days. It deals with a surgeon and a girl, a giant, and a young man who took a long chance. And over them all, the moan of the night wind and the ceaseless roar of the storm. For your suspenseful listening, we invite you to learn about Kepler method.
days of rain they've been ceaseless, teeming, pouring with a steady, relentless rhythm. Four solid days. The fields around Culston had been turned into huge puddles that reflected the heavy, swollen sky. And Dr. Morrissey was stirred by a deep anxiety. He stood beside a window in his sanitarium, which rose high on a lonely hill, a few miles from the little town of Culston, and stared into the jagged, spraying screen of rain. It was just three o'clock. Three o'clock of an afternoon he would long remember. He was on the point of sending for Caffrey, the ward attendant, when the door opened, and Caffrey came in, pale, disturbed. Dr. Morrissey. Is there anything wrong, Caffrey? I don't know. There's a feeling down in the ward. Feeling? This rain's going on too long. The patient's getting uneasy? They're bound to, ain't they? If a guy with good nerves, he gets jumpy. You can imagine what it does to theirs. Seem to be affecting anyone in particular? Number five's been carrying on. Kettler? Yeah. I brought him up. Nurse Carter's waiting with him out in the hall. Bad as that? He's upsetting the others. Keeps asking for some guy named Benham. Oh, that's the man he killed. I didn't know he was homicidal. Oh, it was an accident. He was performing a brain surgery on Benham and... Uh... Him? Oh, Kettler was a very important surgeon, Caffrey. Didn't you know that? He keeps saying so, but... It's, it's perfectly true. Very successful Dr. Kettler was. Until he perfected an operative procedure that he called the Kettler Method. A new process of brain operation. Spent most of his life on it and... Well, when he tried it for the first time on this young Laird Benham and... Benham died on the table, it... It unbalanced his mind. I've got to go back down there now. I think you'd better wait while I talk with Kettler. Okay, I'll bring him in. But don't make it long. I don't like the feel of things around here. Nurse, Miss Carter. Yes, we're coming. You can bring him in now. Come along. Dr. Morrissey wants to see you. Does he now? Does he? Come in, Kettler. I'd like to ask Dr. Morrissey a question. I'd like to ask him a question. Yes, Dr. Kettler. I should like to ask him where Laird Benham is. I know he'll never tell me. But I will, Kettler. Laird Benham is buried somewhere out there under the rain. He is at peace, Kettler. Can't you forget about him? Just forget. You'd all like me to forget about him, wouldn't you? Then you could keep him hidden away forever, couldn't you? Benham is dead, Kettler. You know that. Benham died. He did not. He's alive. He was alive when you and the rest of the envious medical profession stole him from the operating table. Kidnapped him with my bandages still round his head. You were determined to make the Kettler method seem a failure, weren't you? Weren't you? Easy, easy now. Believe me, Kettler. I let Benham die. He is now, Dr. Morrissey. He's in the cellar under the ward downstairs, isn't he? Isn't he? Kettler. Let me see it. Let Benham. Oh, you'd better take him down, Caffrey. All right. Come along now, sir. I'll take him, nurse. You won't show him to me. Even though it would make me well again. My cellars are empty, Kettler. Believe me, Benham isn't there. You sit there in power and order me away. Come on, Kettler. There's something I have to say. I've always been above violence, Dr. Morrissey. But the time comes when there's no other course. This is a warning, Doctor. A warning. And the joke is that you won't heed it. Come on with you. You won't heed it now. But you'll remember it. And soon you'll remember it. Tables turn, Dr. Morrissey. Tables turn. <laughs> Poor thing. Ah, 
I'm afraid I'm failing with him. Failing completely. But you're not. It takes time to put a man back together. Oh, it's taken me too long with Kettler. I'm beginning to be afraid. If you'll pardon me, Doctor. Yes? I do think you're making a mistake. With him? No, with yourself. You haven't had a real vacation in three years, Dr. Morrissey. Oh, you think I'm wearing a bit thin just now, don't you? And you're right. But I really can't leave my patients in anyone else's hands. Not now, at any rate. No, I'll have to make the best of it. But you need relaxation, Doctor. I know, I know. Well, I hope to soothe my ragged nerves somewhat over this weekend. Oh? I have some friends coming down from the city Friday night. Leslie and Claire Winton. Young married couple, newlyweds. And I'm just going to relax with them and forget everything until Monday morning. You must, Doctor. You do need it so badly. Oh, by the way, Doctor. Yes? I slipped some of uh, those new sample bandages into your coat pocket. Well, thanks, thanks. I'll have a look at them. I think they're quite good. The salesman said that... Yes, nurse. What is it? Did, did you hear something? Thunder, wasn't it? Something else besides thunder. I thought it... Well, I didn't hear it. <laughs> My nerves must be getting the best of me. Perhaps it's a case of nurse heal thyself, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the only one who needs a rest. You know, it might be a very good idea if we both... <laughs> Dr. Morrissey. I heard that. What is it? It's coming from the ward. Sounds like... That was a shot, nurse. You get on the phone. Call the police at Colston. Hello? 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 Keep at it. Keep at it. Hello? Someone's trying to get in from the hall. Dr. Morrissey! Dr. Morrissey! It's Caffrey. Just a moment. Caffrey! Caffrey, what is it? He's ganged up on me. All of them coming up the stairs. Kittler, clear out of here. Oh. Oh. Steady, nurse. He's dead, isn't he? Isn't he? Yes. Dr. Morrissey. Hitler. Remember my warning. Remember it, Doctor. Tables turn, Dr. Morrissey. Tables turn. Three more days. Friday night came, black, wet, and glistening. The 815 Express groaned into Colston Station, bringing Leslie and Claire Wenton out from the city with their weekend luggage. Isn't Dr. Morrissey sending his car for us, Leslie? Yes, Claire. The chauffeur was supposed to drive us over to the sanitarium to pick up the dock, and then we're all going over to his house together. Well, I don't see any car, do you? I don't see anything but water. Maybe we're rowing over in a skiff. <laughs> oh. Oh, I hate that sound. Like somebody's in agony. I think you're a little depressed, dear. Well, I shouldn't be surprised. My head's still aching dreadfully. Poor lover. How long's that been going on now? Almost a week. It, it frightens me. I don't think it's anything serious. Waiting in the rain like this doesn't do it any good, I'm sure. I don't understand. Doc's usually so punctual, right on the dot. You don't suppose we ought to call the sanitarium... You people, or Dr. Morrissey, yes? Well, uh, 
yes, yes, we're the Wintons. Doc sent you to pick us up? I, Cato, Dr. Marcy's chauffeur. You got luggage? Um, yes. Here it is. I take. You follow me to car. Come. Uh, we're coming. Leslie? Yes? He's, he's tremendous, isn't he? He must be six and a half feet tall. I'm over six myself, darling. He's nearer eight. That's a giant. Get those shoulders. He could snap me in two like a matchstick. Well, I... I hope he likes us. So do I, light of my life. Ah, waiting. You come, please. But I really don't think he does. (laughs) Coming. car lurched and hurtled over the rain-soaked roads, tearing wildly through the dark and careening up the hillside toward the stark walls of the sanitarium. It skidded to a standstill in front of the main entrance, and cold, black Cato led them inside. The brightly lit corridors were deserted, silent, like hallways in a nightmare. Claire was aware of her headache growing steadily worse as Cato opened the double doors and ushered them into the waiting room. You'll tell Dr. Morrissey we're here, huh? Doctor, be with you soon. You do not go away. Yes, uh, thanks. I hope we're not staying in here very long. It isn't very cheery, is it? I don't like places like this. I suppose it's very foolish of me, but... But I always feel as if I'm in some sort of danger. That's the headache again. Everything seems worse than it really is when you're not feeling well. Don't you always find... Leslie. Yeah? Listen. What is it? Somebody's knocking. Just a moment. Gracias, adios. Who is it, Leslie? I... I don't know. What? You do not know me? I am Arturo Alvarez, the South American pianist... You have heard of me? Well, sure, I've heard of Arturo Alvarez, but I'd hardly expect to find him Leslie, in... Leslie, humor him. Oh, of course, for a moment I forgot where I was. I've uh, heard of you, Mr. Alvarez. Is there anything I can do for you? Will you help me? I must get out of this place. Oh, sure. I came here several days ago to be treated for a mild nervous trouble. And now, now they won't let me go. I am being held a prisoner... And tonight I am scheduled to give a concert at Carnegie Hall, and I must get out of here. Please, will you help me? Ah, number ten out of the ward again, I see. How many times must I tell you that, that is strictly against the rules? I was doing nothing wrong. I was only telling this gentleman that I must be at Carnegie Hall for my concert. Yes, yes, yes. I'm sure the gentleman was very interested. Uh, Cato. Yes, uh, Doctor. Cato, you will escort number ten back to the ward and see to it that he doesn't wander back into the waiting room. No, no, I will not be taken back to the ward. Help me. Oh, no. Help me. Oh. No. Oh. No. No. Oh. I will no. No. Oh. Ah, how strongly he believes in his delusion. Strange fantasy of a diseased mind. Seriously believes that he's Arturo Alvarez. He was telling me. Oh, I'm very sorry. I'm afraid I haven't been very cordial. Uh, Won't you sit down? 
Is there anything I can do for you? Well, you see, Dr. Morrissey invited us up for the weekend. Oh, yes, of course. He told me he was expecting you. Does he know we're here? I'm afraid not. Uh, Dr. Morrissey was unexpectedly called away on an emergency case, and I'm in charge of the sanitarium until he returns. Well, do you have any idea about when that'll be? Well, it's very hard to say. However, he asked me to ask you to wait and see to it that you're made comfortable. Uh, let me see now. Your name is... Winton. Uh... Leslie Winton. And uh, this is my wife, Claire. Ah, yes. Uh, permit me to introduce myself. I'm Dr. Kettler. Dr. Morrissey's assistant. Uh, what can I do for you? A bite of food or a drink, perhaps? I don't think so. There's nothing in the world I want so much as an aspirin. Aspirin? Yes, Doctor. She's had a headache that's been troubling her for days. It's terribly annoying. I can well imagine. Annoying and interesting. That is, to a man of my profession, of course. But if you will step into the inner office, I think I can offer you something a good deal more effective. Oh, I hate to trouble you. No trouble at all. I find these things most intriguing. Should I, Leslie? I think you might as well. Morrissey won't be back for a long time by the looks of things. You're quite right, Mr. Winton. Dr. Morrissey won't be back for a long, long time. Oh, well, then, uh, which way do I go? Right this way. The large door on your left. You won't mind waiting alone, will you, darling? Oh, Mr. Winton shall make himself comfortable. There are cigarettes in the box, whiskey in the liquor cabinet, and no radio behind the ferns there. I'm sure he will be quite happy. Uh, after you, Mrs. Winton. If Dr. Morrissey comes in, let me know. I hope you'll find everything you want, sir. Thanks. Uh, by the way, Doctor. Yes? You said you had something better than aspirin. I didn't know there was anything better than aspirin for a headache. I have something, Mr. Winton. Really? It is a process which I invented myself. One that never fails. A little treatment, very effective and highly complicated, called the Kettler Method. Please make yourself at home, Mr. Winton. Leslie sat there, alone in the big waiting room for a while. Then creeps began setting in and he thought to himself, Maybe I'll have that drink after all. He rose and went over to the liquor cabinet that Kettler had pointed out to him and opened it. Well, there's nothing in here but books. Yes, books. Books that were so thick with dust that it was clear they'd been there for months. Well, no drink for Leslie. Maybe a cigarette. Kettler said the box was full. He picked it up and started opening it. Why, it isn't even a cigarette box. The darn thing's a bookend. Yes, that's just what it was. Leslie began to think it was a tough job making himself at home in that waiting room. And then the idea occurred to him. Maybe the radio works. He went over to the radio then, turned it on, and... We are sorry to announce that the program scheduled for this time from Carnegie Hall has been canceled due to the mysterious disappearance of Arturo Alvarez, the noted South American pianist. Mr. Alvarez was known to be suffering from a minor nervous disorder and was last seen departing on a short trip to Colston in upstate New... Alvarez... That guy is Alvarez. What's going on here? Claire! Claire! Locked. Dr. Kessler, open this door. Open it. Do you hear me? Miss Claire. Winton. Oh, you. Tell him to open up. Tell him. Tell him. Doctor, send me. Tell you, young lady, headache bad. Very bad. What do you mean? He operate. Operate? He say take 
long time. He say, you not wait. You come back tomorrow. Operate. No, no. Kessler, Kessler. Claire, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Of course she can hear you, Mr. Winton. The operating table is just inside the door. Bring her out here. Let her go, I tell you, Kettler. But I find that an operation is indicated, Mr. Winton. I forbid you to touch her. You forbid? You? I'm in charge here. No one forbids me. Do you understand? You're insane. You're... If you lay your hands on her, I'll kill you. So help me, I'll kill you. Very well, Mr. Winton. If you do not wish me to operate, that's all there is to it. I would scarcely force my service upon you. However, the girl's condition is quite serious, and I... Claire. Ah, good work. Good work, Cato, my boy. A masterstroke. Ah, do you still forbid me, Mr. Winton? Do you? Do you? Oh, you don't answer. Good, good. Take him to the cellar, Cato, and lodge him there with his friend, Dr. Morrissey. They should have a good deal to talk over in the still hours of the night while I cure the young lady's headache unmolested. got to pull yourself together, Leslie. Now try. Try to think. Akato brought you down a few moments ago. You've been hit in the head. Can you remember? Yes. I was talking to Kettler, trying to make him let Claire go. Claire! Oh, good Lord, Morrissey. Where is she? He's got her. Kettler? She's on that operating table up there. We've got to do something. We've got to do something. Well, I'm afraid there's not much we can do. I've been here for three days and nights. What happened? Ah, it was a nightmare come to life. I'd had Kettler in my office for treatment. Yeah? He was off on a wild tangent, insisting that I had a man whom he had killed hidden down here in the cellar. That I and the rest of the medical profession had kidnapped him off the operating table with his head still swathed. He thinks I've been keeping this venom from him all along, even though I've known that just one side of him would cure his mental disorders. He hates me with every fiber of his twisted brain. He's a dangerous case, Leslie. He'll... He'll kill Claire? He may. There's a slim chance he won't. What's that? Well, all the surgical instruments are locked away. It's possible they may not be able to find them. Isn't there any way we can get out of here? Well, wouldn't I have used it? Where does that corridor lead to? To the staircase that goes to the first floor. Well? Not a chance. It comes out in the operating room and they keep that door locked as tight as a drum. Besides, Kettler still has the pistol he took from my nurse. I've got to think. I've got to. My head hurts so I can't make good sense. Let's say that. I think they gave you a nasty cut. Oh, it doesn't matter. Say, Doc. Yes? What was his name? Who? The guy Kettler thought you were keeping from him, the one he killed. Benham. Laid Benham. Why? Was he a young fellow? Yes, a rather tall, slender chap. Say, Doc. Hmm? Do you have any bandages down here? What? Bandages. Why, yes, I think so. They're, they're stored down here. Enough to bandage my whole head, face, and everything? Why? I might have a chance of getting through that door up there. <laughs> Let me go now. Oh, let me go. Leslie! Leslie! You will be better soon. Much better. I will take the pain away, Mrs. Winton. Cato, have you found the surgical case? Not found yet. I look. Cato, look. Find it. We must not keep Mrs. Winton in an agony. Find it, I say. She'll have to create some order in this place. I want my instruments at hand on a moment's notice. Please, let me go. 
Oh, let me go. You shall be well again, my dear. I promise you, you shall be. Doctor, here, tall, white cabinet, behind curtain. That's it. Open it. Open it, Cato. Locked. Locked, Doctor. Smash it open. Open it. I do. You'll find scalpels on the top tray. Bring them to me. Yes, Doctor. Is here, Doctor. See, knives, good, sharp knives. Cato find, he find them. Excellent. How they glitter. Ah, it is good to feel the knife in my hand again. Put the others right beside my pistol here on the table. Please. Oh, please. There, there, my girl. I shall expend all my genius on you. You shall be well again. No! No! Now to work. What was that? Who's there? Dr. Ketler. Who is it? I have found my way back to you. Open the door, Dr. Ketler. I've come back again. Who are you? You remember? You remember Laird Benham? Cato! Cato! Yes, Doctor. The door! The door! Let him in! He's come back! Let him yes, in, I say! Yes, Doctor. Oh, let me out of here! He's come back! He's come back, Cato! Dr. Kepler. Ben. Benham, I knew it. I knew it all along. You're alive. You're living. Yes. Living. Yes, Dr. Kepler. You. Just as they took you from the table. Yes. They took me away before the operation was complete. Finish it now. Hurry. I can't live much longer. I'm about to die. No, no. Cato, get Benham out of the table. Girl, girl on table. Take her off. Take her out of here. Put her in the cellar. Let Benham take her place. At once, you hear? Yes, Dr. Cato. No, no. I won't be put in the cellar. I won't. It might be well if you went down into the cellar, you know. It's nice down there. You'll see old friends, perhaps. Old friends who need help. Leslie. Hurry, hurry, I say. Yes, Doctor, come. I'm coming. Are you all right, Benham? Weaker. Weaker. Cato! Cato! Cato, close door. No, stop wasting time. Leave the door alone. Help me. Help me get Benham on the table. Yes, Doctor. Cato, do. Oh, that's right. Now lift him carefully. Yeah. Uh, good. Oh. Now, lie back. Lie back. Gently. Gently. All right. Careful now. There we are. Cato, give me the knife. Yes, Doctor. Take off the bandages. Hmm. From the top, Cato. That's correct. That's proper procedure. There. Yeah, now that's... Hmm. I thought his hair was blonde, not black. Well, perhaps I've forgotten. I've forgotten so many things that... There was a scar on his forehead. I, I clearly remember a scar on his forehead. Maybe... Maybe I imagine that, too. Perhaps it was someone else who... Brown eyes. Benham. Benham, didn't you have blue eyes? I know they were blue. And your nose. Your nose was thinner and longer. Yes. 
Yes. And your lips. You had thick lips. That I know. Bandages off, Doctor. Dr. Kettler, there's a trick here. You... You're not Benham. You're not Benham. You're that young Mr. Winton. Dr. Kettler, listen to me. Cheat. Cheat. So you wanted me to finish you, did you? Yes, Mr. Winton, I will. I will. Hold him, Cato. Uh, Hold him. See the knife, Mr. Winton? Watch it glisten as it comes down, 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 and into... that he's out to Alvarez when you hear him play the piano, do you? That's a marvelous old instrument you have, Doc. It was my mother's. This old house has been in the family for generations. Mm. Who'd ever thought we'd be alive to sit in your house and listen to somebody play a concerto? We wouldn't have been. At least I wouldn't have been if you hadn't snatched that revolver off the table right out from under Kettler's nose before they threw you into the cellar. That was the lifesaver. Made the weekend perfect. (laughs) I'm afraid it wasn't very restful. Hereafter, I'm spending all weekends in a cozy little corner under the L. (laughs) Ah, it was worse for Claire than anybody. She had a dreadful time. It was ghastly, all right. Horrible. But you know something? What? My headache. It's completely gone. Kettler method, the tale of a memorable weekend and a long-awaited dead man who didn't return after all. This was tonight's story of Suspense. Suspense is produced by William Spear. John Dietz was our director this evening. Tonight's radio drama was written by Peter Barry and scored by Bernard Herman. Roger DeCoven was Dr. Kettler, John Gibson, Leslie Winton, and Gloria Stewart played Claire Winton. Others in the cast were Guy Rep, Martha Faulkner, Winfield Honey, and Ralph Smiley. Next week at this time, Columbia will bring you another selected story from the world's great literature of thrills. Another study in... Suspense. This is Barry Kroger, and this is the Columbia Broadcasting System. (laughs) 